On one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your sisters or relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. A place for everything and everything in its place. It's so simple, so proverb-like, so beautiful of a sentiment, words to truly live by. It's no secret that I like things in order. Take a trip down the hall to my office and you'll see my books in alphabetical order by author last name because how else would you sort them? Loose papers neatly tucked away into individual file folders labeled by committee or event or topic. And my artwork is arranged like a small art gallery. My little slice of heaven. A place for everything and everything in its place. Now when I was in seminary, I worked for two years as the sacristan of the seminary chapel sort of like the equivalent of our ABC team here every week. And one of my responsibilities was helping to coordinate commencements every year, unquestionably our biggest and most involved service of the year. And I remember vividly all of the diagrams that I inherited, right, showing the processional lineup and the communion and diploma distribution to ensure an orderly and efficient flow of traffic during the service and the seating charts with the places where the worship leaders, the seminary president, the academic faculty, the graduating class, any special guests clearly marked. There was a place for everyone and everyone had their place. In public spaces, we're used to these clear boundaries and places of honor and distinction. In corporate workplaces, for instance, there's a difference between the corner office and the ordinary cubicle. And at restaurants, when given the choice, we'd rather sit on the patio or at the window booth than at the table with the wobbly leg by the bathrooms. You get the point. There are clear places that are viewed more highly than others. 
even a simple church pew, the history of which is far from simple. If you've been to New England and visited some of its historic churches, then you know maybe what a box pew looks like, right? These are more like the equivalent of luxury skyboxes in their day. Uh, box pews were often walled off at about shoulder height. They had their own private doors and curtains for privacy and private benches and even fireplaces uh, in the days before church heating systems. And you thought we were spoiled with these cushioned pews at Cross of Life. And historically, these box pews were reserved and paid for at rates and prices that the only the very wealthy could afford. And while the concept might seem so incredibly foreign to us, people actually wanted to sit in the front rows to be seen and to be recognized because if you had money, you could have these places and you wanted to be known for that. All of which, I think, helps us to understand the premise behind Jesus's parables and teachings. He's invited to the house of a prominent religious leader for this meal with the elites of the elites, all of whom are jockeying for the best seats to be closest to their host so that they can be seen and recognized for being there. Meanwhile, Jesus, up to this point, has been quietly observing from the side, and he offers a parable. Don't take the best seat. What if someone more important than you comes along? Well, that would be embarrassing for you, wouldn't it? So just take the lowest seat. That will work out better in the long run. And then if that's not enough, Jesus goes on to criticize the guest list at this party he's invited to. Don't invite all of the important people, people who can invite you back and have you over and repay you, but instead invite the people who can't pay you back, the ones with no social standing, the ones that you would normally overlook. And so in the course of two many parables, Jesus drastically turns the social conventions of his day upside down. But this isn't just a lesson in table etiquette, as if Jesus were some kind of primitive Emily Post. This is not a story about place cards or seating charts or table reservations. The point isn't even really about who sits where. This is a story about humility. Humility is a strange concept. It wasn't exactly considered a virtue in Jesus's day, and it's not exactly the most intuitive posture for us either. Humility is often seen as the opposite of pride. And we like to take pride in our achievements and our accomplishments and our identities. And there's nothing wrong with that. So maybe we need a better definition of humility. Living in Chicago for the last 12 years before moving here, I grew accustomed to the peculiarities of public transit and its riders. Maybe if you've ridden the bus system here, you can relate. And there's always that one person who would so graciously and publicly make a display of giving up their seat when someone who was pregnant or older or with a disability would get on 
to make a show of how good and humble a person they were for giving up their seat, something they should do anyway, but they needed to be recognized for it. That's not humility. Instead, I would suggest that humility is something more like standing up before that person gets on, making a place for others before they show up. Humility acknowledges that there are others who are not at the table. It doesn't ask us to consider ourselves as less than or less valuable than others and take the lower place for its own sake. But humility does invite us to be aware of others who don't always get a place at the table and to make space for them, even if we don't know who they are and even if they're not here yet. Humility is the grace to live in community and to embody the kind of radical welcome and hospitality that Jesus showed us when he dined not just with prominent Pharisees, but with the sinners and tax collectors. Still, there's a hesitation for those of us who have always had a place at the table. And I think that hesitation boils down to fear. Is there going to be enough, enough food, enough space? Is there going to be enough? Whenever I'm at a large meal that's being served buffet style, I seem to have a knack for choosing or being assigned to one of the last tables to be dismissed to get our food. Maybe you can relate to that experience. Recently, I attended a conference, and at the closing banquet, I was at the very last table to be dismissed to get our food of maybe 50 or 60 tables. And I'm an anxious and impatient person. And so here I am sitting at the table just every now and again eyeing the line of people getting ever longer and the, the buffet table getting ever thinner. And I'm thinking, oh no, there's not going to be enough. There's not going to be enough food. Overlooking the fact that we had all paid $35 for a ticket at this place and they planned ahead because that's what you do when you cater. And of course I was wrong, right? There was enough food and there was more than enough food. Of course there is enough. At God's banquet table, there is a place for all, and there is enough for all. That's Jesus's point. I don't think he really cared about who sat where at that meal. I think he was using that as an opportunity to show us what the kingdom of God looks like and who gets to be included. There is a place for everyone. And everyone has a place. There are no reservations required, no cost, no dress code. There are no prerequisites to sharing in this meal. And the beauty of our Lutheran theology is that we don't even have to agree on everything to share in this meal. We just have to be hungry. Hungry for a word of grace and forgiveness and wholeness. Speaking of being hungry, an interesting tidbit about Luke's gospel, whenever Jesus is teaching his disciples or debating with other people, more often than not, he always seems 
to be eating with them. The table is where it all happens. You could even say, as others have pointed out, that Jesus didn't so much birth a church as he birthed a table and table fellowship. A table where all are welcome, where no one is turned away, where there is enough for all, where no one lacks for food. Let us go now to the banquet. The table is set and a place is waiting for you, for me, for everyone. Come, eat and be filled with the bread of life. Drink and be warmed with the cup of salvation. There is a place for you here. Thanks be to God.